Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome. A, a warm welcome, in fact, to the Indie Football Podcast. I'm Ed Malian. Delighted to welcome you back for a thorough rakeover, an eventful Premier League weekend, plus, as promised, a, a mailbag section to answer your questions. Uh, you may have noticed I'm suffering slightly in the voice department after a, a long wedding. I hope to sound something like legendary crooner Barry White, but I fear I may more resemble serial caretaker manager Eric Black. Uh, and in that case, here is the Keith Millen of caretakers. It's Jonathan Liu. Hi, Ed. Very nice to be here. That's a, that's a compliment, I think. And on my right, the Argus Filch of caretakers. It's Miguel Delaney. Is that a compliment? That is a Harry Potter joke, so we're getting okay. Harry Potter jokes out there early. Never uh, seen Harry Potter. Have you not? No. Overrated. I mean, no. all 12 of them will have a minute. I don't want to go this far off topic this early, Yeah. but I, I do think you're probably going to have to watch it at some point. I just read the book. The books are much better. Ah, come on. Um, also, I've heard from, from cultural experts. Uh, no. We'll go with the football. Uh, no. I think that's the reason most people are listening. And... Um, I guess we'll start with the biggest game of the weekend, which would be Tottenham-Liverpool. Was there? Uh, you were there, yeah. Had to get that one in. At Wembley. Um, it's a great result for Tottenham. It is a, a astonishing result for Tottenham. But the biggest story doesn't seem to be that. The biggest story does seem to be just how horrendous Liverpool's defending was. I can see producer Matt cringing. How bad were they? Um, pretty awful. I mean, that uh, what sums it up, I suppose... Um Klopp saying we could have this conversation, you know, maybe if Tottenham were geniuses and did that to us, then it'd be a different discussion, but they didn't need to be. Um, I mean, Tottenham were very good, but they just ruthlessly punished what was some horrific stuff from, from Liverpool. It was just so open. I mean, the defining image of the game for me, bar everything around Dejan Lovren, was particularly in the first half hour, was just white shirts running very, very fast into acres of space in the Liverpool half. It was like, the amount of times that it happened. Like, and every time it happened, you thought, Gee, this, how bad could this get? So if you're playing against Harry Kane, probably play close attention to him. I mean, he's been one of the best strikers in the world now for the last 18 months. Um, and you saw him getting into space way too much. Uh, the moment when Dejan Lovren ran underneath that, that ball, I, I just don't understand what was happening, Jonathan. Lovren is one of those weird ones because... He was so good at Southampton, and then he's arrived in Liverpool, and it's all kind of gone bad for him. Do you think he is, you know, he got hauled off after, was it 31 minutes? But do you think this is kind of uh, all down to individual errors, or is this a Klopp thing? Uh, well, I think the first thing is you, you kind of had to feel for Lovren a little bit. Uh, it's It, it wasn't, as, as a lot of people were saying, it wasn't a kind of dereliction of duty. It wasn't like he was phoning it in. It wasn't like he couldn't be fussed. Uh, it's, I guess, what sports psychologists would call a, a choke. Care too much. Care too much. He cared too much. It was, a, it was, a, it was a classic freeze. And, and I think what happens is, the the, the brain is sending signals to the limbs. Something gets cut off in the middle, and so suddenly you can't perform the simple functions of of your job. It, it was as simple as that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a panic attack, to be honest. Um, the, so that, that's that's the first point. The second point is that this fixation on Lovren kind of 
gets the other defenders off the hook. I mean, but I, I think it should do the opposite. It's just it's basically just that Lovren is a personification of what is a much much wider problem for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, if the Liverpool back five, let's let's include Mignolet in and this. I thought he was poor as yesterday. Mignolet. Yeah, they, I mean, they were all pretty bad. If if they're a poker hand. Uh, which would you which would you trade in and which would you keep? And you could probably make an argument for keeping Joe Gomez, uh, maybe Moreno. That's a pure potential thing, though, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Go, go, and, and you know, potential is one of the. So he's basically an eight. Which of those five defenders is going to marshal a title challenge for you? Yeah, there's not a single one. Is yeah, it? there's not one. Mm. I, I, I like. I mean, I liked the signing of Andy Robertson when he arrived. Um, and I, you're right. I think Joe Gomez could be something but the rest of them are you know even if you'd spent 70 million pounds on Virgil van Dijk and Southampton had relented how does that fix anything because you it, feel like they'd be far better off spending that on just like two or three players yeah you know? yeah well I mean I think van Dijk would have been a game changer for them because I think he's one of those players that potentially changes the culture of a, of a place and what what happens if you're Matip and you're suddenly playing next to Van Dyke rather than Lovren, is you think, this guy's got standards. I can trust this guy. I can rely on this guy. And I need to, I need to match this guy. Okay, but, but there is the wider argument that even... I think even Van Dyke would, would make fewer individual mistakes. But if there is a structural problem which with Liverpool's team that's so exposed to defence, I think is the case, could we suddenly see then Van Dyke make... Because, he just, because he's just so much more exposed. Make him, I mean, and, and that was the big thing, yes, against that Spurs team just to how exposed they were with so little protection. They're, they're a team that, that, you know, I think even in pre-season, early season, we had Critch uh, was mm. down from, from up north and, and he sees a lot of Liverpool. And obviously, you know, he was saying mm. the thing is they just give up two or three big chances a game and they go in and, and that's their big weakness. That is a kind of a symptom of, of the aggressive pressing game. Mm-hmm. The thing is when they relent with the heavy pressing, they're still giving up these chances. Yeah. So kind of you've got the worst of both worlds there. You need to be able to lock up at some point and I don't know if they've got the capability to just lock a game down now we know Jose Mourinho has got that ability you know we've seen it numerous times it makes me look back at that result and say why on earth would you go so defensively against Liverpool like he did when you know if you can put them under a little yeah, bit exactly. of stress and I mean, see what happens I, 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 I tweeted that a little bit uh, maybe mischievously during the game yesterday and got a fair few responses oh well he wasn't afraid of the defence he was afraid of their attack but yeah but I mean, you can completely change the dynamic of a game if you if you suddenly like that attack won't be as potent if they're fearful of what's being done to their defence. Um, and I, it, it's so it, it's it's amazing that United set up in that way, really. Given 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 the last given how the season started, I mean, I think as, as Ken Early said last week, basically United solved Liverpool's defensive problem. And, and it's true. <laughs> but what I mean, do we expect Liverpool to make any changes? I, I just can't see it. Klopp is. Well, you do wonder whether this is a bit of a, a watershed moment now, even for the fact that he hauled Lovren off after half an hour, the way he spoke after. I mean, w- one thing about Klopp lately, he's been getting so chippy with questions, kind of turning them back on um, on people who asked him, whereas yesterday he fronted up in a way that I haven't really seen before, to be honest, and kind of just acknowledged. Is that a good thing? Yeah. It, it, it just, I think it, that and the fact he made a change so quickly kind of just fosters the sense now that he kind of... And even when it was put to him, oh, you have the club's worst defensive record after nine games since 1964-65, and he, and he comes there, oh, I, can't, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. And then he went back and repeated that stat again, and he's like, I can't believe it. So it does feel as if maybe there's a deeper acknowledgement. but It's worse than Brendan. Yeah. 
What could he do though? I mean, who else? Who else can he bring in? He's he's kind of hamstrung until January. I mean, <laughs> yeah, people say lots of Liverpool fans saying Lovren should never wear the shirt again. Who are they going to? Who are they going to replace him with? Yeah, it's true. Um, although do you, do you remember, it doesn't remind me slightly. Do you remember when um, when Kevin Keegan was Newcastle manager, and he um, there was all this debate about actually a pretty pretty similar debate about that Newcastle team how entertaining they were about how many goals they conceded, and he temporarily brought in Mark Lawrence as defensive coach. Um, <laughs> I don't know how, how much of an effect that would have in this. Uh, I mean. This, I feel like he's, you know, he's someone who's so wedded to his own techniques and beliefs yeah. that it's difficult to do that. Um, yeah, because that's it. Because if you bring someone else in, what you need to do requires such a change in the way the whole team plays that it kind of it, it, it can't really be workable. I mean, that, that that's the way Liverpool play. They will leave you space in behind, and the gamble that that they take is that you won't ever get to see that space in behind because they are so aggressively trying to win the ball and and there were times actually during yesterday's game when it was a little bit like a bit of a chaotic pinball and you know there was there was no kind of rhythm or or, or flow to the game at all and you, you suspect that's kind of how Liverpool like to play it like a, a series of mini collisions but once Tottenham got their foot on the ball and it was it was just so it's one or two passes and suddenly you've got 50 yards to run into and Kane's not the quickest mm. uh Deli Alley's not the quickest and they were outpacing the likes of Henderson and Milner uh and Matip by five or six yards we can't overlook Spurs in no. all this a great week for them obviously with uh the Real Madrid result as well, where they kind of, you know, and I know it's just a one-game thing, and it's amazing how these narratives get formed out of that, but this is a team who now for two, three years in a row have, have sustained title challenges, basically, yeah. on a smaller wage budget than any of their well, rivals. As I wrote at the weekend, just before going into the game, Liverpool wage bill is 208 million, Spurs is 100. Uh, and I, t- I assume this struck me during the, as I was watching the game and watching Spurs just tear through Liverpool uh, you know, this has become quite standard. And when you think about it, that's actually, that's, that's amazing what Pochettino has done. Because there's all, and I think um, Kane has mentioned it in um, post-match quotes that should be out by the time this podcast comes out. But he's saying, you know, every season, I feel like we have these doubters and okay, that'll be the case till we win something. But I mean, taking on what Kane has said, it does feel like every season you're kind of going now, okay, well Spurs, yeah, they'll still be good, but they won't be that good again. They'll fall off. They'll kind of, they'll be looking to get top four, even though they'll still do well. And yet... Yet again, it looks like they're going to be the closest challengers. Right, but we still don't think they're going to win the Premier League. So maybe it's a point. I just, I think, um, but they should have no. They should, from what the resources the Pochettino has to work with in terms of how much they can spend, the, the issues that has created in terms of players obviously wanting to get paid more and so and so much yeah. like dire Danny Danny Rose and all that. They should. They have no right really to be doing this well. It's amazing they're even talking about this Deli Ali contract and, and the numbers involved because. Mm. He must know he, he's worth a lot more than this. But I guess at the moment, th- this is the best place for him to be. This is a team which is s- somehow still upwardly mobile. And mm. uh, it's a significant result as well because it's their first big win at Wembley, I guess. Yeah, and ev- every time we, we think we've pinned down this Spurs side and we think we've got the measure of them and it's a world that they can't play at Wembley or they, mm. can't, they, can't, they can't lock up a game, and you know, which, which they did pretty well at, at Real Madrid, uh, they... They're going to lose their best players. You know, their their, their wage bill is going to catch up with them. Uh, it's it's felt like they've they've kind of overcome that obstacle, and and there's really only one left, which is they kind that's of have weird. to win something. But th- that's an interesting thing as well, actually. That because for most, say even even this time last year, and following on from the 2015-16 season, 
you would have talked, and I think myself and Jack, uh, essential Spurs correspondent, wrote it several times. Basically, Spurs are absolutely brilliant with that pressing game, but there's an element of kind of blunt force about it, and it can become slightly predictable, which is why Kane was so important because sometimes they would batter a team in submission, but unless Kane makes some run or Deli Ali does something kind of slightly innovative, games or they hadn't broken down a team early. Games could become slightly frustrating. Like I think the the, semi, the FA Cup semi final against Chelsea was a classic example in which it just ends up this, this twenty minute period of the ball, Spurs battering the ball into the box and it coming out and that process being repeated. So they they were brilliant, impressing, but it's ever so slightly predictable. Whereas now Pochettino seems to have completely got around to that. And now the, the, it'd be interesting actually to look at how many different formations he's used already this season. And how many different approaches? Because the, the variety of their games, are like it's something I haven't seen. Well, it's incredibly ballsy to do what he did at the Bernabeu, I think, mm. to uh, to make a a complete shape change. I, I know you could say at times they broadly play that shape anyway, where Eric Dyer drops into mm. between the two centre backs, and and it's obviously if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you have to, as a coach, I think, be able to back yourself. Like the best coaches won't be wedded to one system; mm. they will change it where they see fit to get the result they, they need. And it's just, I think it's incredibly impressive what he's done. And, and the only sad thing, I guess, and I mean, this is an inevitable thing, is the charm offensive that Poch clearly went <laughs> on in Spain last yeah. week ahead of the Real Madrid game does make you uh, think. I mean, he's obviously an ambitious guy in terms of looking at how he's dragged Spurs up the league. He will have eyes elsewhere eventually. There are certainly eyes already on him. Yeah. But it was a, it did seem a concerted... Uh, sort of effort and considering he was already kind of being talked about at Real Madrid before he'd achieved all of this at Spurs you have to say that he's going to be one of the most in demand coaches in Europe Yeah, at some point when he decides his time has come um, slightly back to Liverpool who had a worse weekend Liverpool or Everton well Everton are having a just a terrible autumn they're just having a terrible season I, I, I still think Liverpool will bounce back Uh I, th- I still think they've got a chance of finishing in the top four. I, th- I think Everton might well have to kind of put a fork in their season and go, this could be one of those seasons where we just finish 12th and, uh, and are happy with it and rebuild. Do you not remember pre-season when we were talking, Miguel, and obviously talking about all the money they've mm. spent and stuff, but we said they've got a very, very tough start to the season. Yeah. So if, if all these new players don't fit in mm, straight which away, happens. which obviously hasn't happened, um, then it could look a lot worse than it is. Do you think that's what we're seeing now or do you think there is a fundamental problem no, it, there? because it feels worse it feels worse than that um and all performance of, like it's not like they've been kind of just get been getting beaten by better sides just because they're just because they're richer and, and they're wealthier and uh, have better resources than that, but they're putting up tough games it's basically that they've been mostly outclassed i mean when when chelsea played them earlier i was at that game and chelsea just it was, it was. I think it was what well, was final score was two nil i think but it could have been six or seven and each pace thing has got worse and worse in terms yeah of, i mean it does, something like, it, it does feel like something is fundamentally broken in that team. They don't look as though they have an idea of how they want to play football. And, and that, mm. if that, that sounds elementary. It, it, it just means that they don't really have an identity and they don't really know how they're going to break teams down. And that obviously over time has had a kind of depressing effect on, on morale. And if you see some of the goals they conceded against Arsenal, it was it was not one or two individual errors. It was a collective... Well, we could chase that down, but really, what's the point? Well, by the time of the Sanchez goal, I mean, that was a joke. I mean, it was brilliant from Sanchez, but he had a lot to work with, essentially. Well, well exactly. <laughs> and and it, it just feels like one of those teams where 
uh, it's it's like a, a load of children with no with no parents around. <laughs> they all want to play. You know, they want to play number ten and number. Everybody wants to be a number ten or a number eight. Yeah. And so they're all just running around in the spaces, and there's there's no. That's presumably why he's playing a striker at right wing back sometimes. Well, exactly. There's no shape to them at all. There's no. There's no idea. What what is Everton? What is Everton at the moment? It's a mess. Personally, I don't think that that is, would be the most obvious sacking of the weekend because you've got to remember Friday night. Now, oh yeah, yeah. Bilic losing three 0 at is home it, to uh, yeah. to Brighton. What do we think about that situation? Because for me, how on earth is how on earth are they going to pull this round? West Ham look. Are you? And we said it weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how dreadful they look tactically. How does he survive in this job? It's amazing. It's it. it I thought you'd be gone on Saturday morning. I really did. Yeah, you, you'd, you, at this point, you would wonder, given everything we know, um, and I've, my stories I've heard about, like I think we've touched on the podcast before about how two, we've heard from two different top six teams about how West Ham were tactically the worst team they've played, uh, because they're so easy to get at, so open. I mean, I like, but Brighton are a, a fundamentally good team. Newton's, Newton's, he's done a good job. He's had a solid team, but they're not the sort of team to go and win three 0 away from home. So for that to happen is. <laughs> Well, they're just—I mean, there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough pressure on the ball, and this, this has been a serial complaint about about Bilic's mm. side. We, we were t- hearing about this 18 months ago that they're not—they're not robust enough in the 18-yard box. They're not putting enough pressure on the ball about 30 yards out. You can you can play through them, you can play around them, and you know they, they have some they have some decent players going forward. They can they can always burgle a couple of goals, but again, they don't look like like a team that have a a collective. Organization to them, they don't have a shape. They're not creative enough. They're not positive enough. They're not creative enough. They're not positive enough. We're going to keep on getting bad results. Mm. Bad results. A- another coach who could have been in this same sort of situation, probably not really talking about a sacking, but certainly under pressure, would have been Antonio Conte. Uh, Johnny, you were at Chelsea Watford on Saturday, um, and I guess you know, with time ticking away on the clock, you probably thought that he was in a bit of trouble. It, it felt like a little bit of a rehash of the Mourinho season from a, from a couple of years ago where things just started going wrong at once and, and mm. again there was a sort of collective panic to the place you could feel Stamford Bridge going what on earth is going on uh, but then you know fair play to Conte he changed things around uh, what he did br- he do? what did he do? To well him? he brought uh, Batshuayi on uh, for Morata who hadn't been doing very much I think he's still not quite fit yet uh, he moved as Piliqueta over to the left to replace Alonso, he, he brought Alonso because Alonso was having a really, he was getting caught out down that left a lot. Uh, and he brought Pedro on at right wing back who had, had essentially been their best player and then certainly the most ener- energetic player. And then what what happened is Watford kind of sat back a bit. And I mean, they, 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 they analyzed this on, on match of the day. They, they let Chelsea play a little bit more in their in their own half. And so you know, momentum kind of took over, and and they, Batshuayi scored a couple of good goals, and you know, and and that, that's how quickly things turn. And Watford should have been four-one up mm. by that stage. They had so many chances. They continued to have chances, and if they'd just been a little bit, a little bit braver, I guess, a little bit more intrepid, they might have. Well, they would have won. There are clearly issues at Chelsea, but you can see that what one big difference with 2015-16 is that, again, I suppose touching on what I said about Everton, the 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 core, the team isn't broken in the sense that the resolve, like so many games in 2015-16, they just, once they're behind, that was it. Whereas now, even in the Burnley game at the start of the season, there is that there is that will, there's that kind of deeper, uh, 
resilience that, that that they didn't have two years ago. There, there seems to be enough there. I, mm. I was at the Atletico game and at Salas Park when they lost. Mm. There's still enough there to, you know, you're right. They don't look like a team that's kind of that that Mourinho team looked haunted. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was so many issues going on there, and again, you know, um, also Conte isn't as um, how to put this delicately. I'm trying to avoid a way I can get in trouble, but <laughs> I mean, do you remember even even from when Chelsea were winning the title you know, by Christmas 2014, Mourinho was already banging on about all oh, kind of referees and kind of. Um, Guardiola. Uh, yeah, all, all, all of this. Whereas Conte doesn't really do that. In the, it doesn't create the same, like, you know... He doesn't, it's more focused he about doesn't it. So, he doesn't search for enemies. Mm. Um, I feel like Jose is constantly searching for an enemy to, to fixate upon, mm. almost in the same way that certain world leaders do. <laughs> um, on that subject, actually, how much do you reckon it infuriated Mourinho to lose a match to a man in a cap like that? Dressed well. I, I mean, we should probably mention the fact that Manchester United lost a game of football this weekend uh, at Huddersfield United. Um, Town. Sorry, Huddersfield. <laughs> it's one of those weekends. Huddersfield Town um, beat Man United two one at home. Uh, we've been saying for you must feel very vindicated. We've been saying for weeks well, that United yeah, um, just perhaps haven't been playing as well as uh, their score line suggests and the goal difference suggests, and it came unstuck uh, across the Pennines. What do we think of uh, things going forward for them? Like, you know, I expect them to bounce back. They've got uh, the deepest squad probably in the league, uh, maybe the City up there with them. But this is uh, the first bump in the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess we've got to see how, how Jose reacts to that. I think they'll fall away a fair bit. Um, I mean, I think it's top four, maybe on the kind of brink of a title challenge. But uh, I mean, the run of fixtures now is very, very difficult. And they're already five points behind City. Um, Who will finish either season, Spurs or Man United? I'm beginning to think Spurs. Seems a better team, more about them. But, you th- but it still feels like a gap from those two teams up to City. I think City. I think Spurs could. Pu- I think I'd. I'd have more belief in Spurs to push City closer. I have to say. Just, I mean, just higher Chelsea or United. Chelsea mm. and United play at the start of in two weeks' time. Two weeks' time. Mm. Remember that. Just look, beginning to look like such a huge game. A fork in the road game, that one. Uh, what, exactly, exactly. I mean, I think United have just—they've kind of hit a—they've reached the natural end point, I think, of the, their one game plan, which they started the yeah. season with, which is essentially to get an early goal and to you know that that, that is keep it tight, get an early goal, and then just put pressure on. What what happened at Huddersfield was they just got totally taken aback, and, and clearly there was a drop in the energy levels from yeah. from Liverpool. And from Benfica in, in midweek, it's hard. You know, it, it's the biggest game of Huddersfield season. And I mean, I dug out this stat that United have not over not not won from a losing position all year in 2017. That's remarkable. Uh, apart from an F- unless you count an FA Cup tie against Blackburn in the, in in the Europe or in the Premier League, they haven't successfully chased a game. And mm. I think that's what they're going to have to do because the Ferguson teams did it. Not not mm. to not to dredge him up again. They don't have that sense that. You know that they they are they're going to roll you over in the in the in the first mm. you know in the last fifteen twenty minutes. Just sometimes I like to see Martial and Rashford up front together. I don't know. Well, I, I think I think that you know you, if if you can see a team that can deal fairly effectively with yeah. someone like Lukaku, um, if they if they are keeping him fairly well shackled, if they've got a nice physical backline, um, then why not throw something else into them? Martial and Rashford are, are both. Obviously, they're fast, mm. but. 
they're creative players as well in, in the way that they move and and the way that they link up with each other and and but no, there's no defender. If you ever talk to a defender, there's no defender that wants to play against someone who's got raw speed yeah. and, and is a deadly finisher. I, I think I've probably said this before on this podcast, but I think it, it always bears repeating because Martial is the player that sums up Mourinho's um, entire thinking. He's potentially one of the best attackers in the world. and I, I don't think that's an exaggeration to say. His talent's uh, incredible. And yet Mourinho doesn't seem to fully trust him because of his defensive game. Uh, and like you know, there's all this discussion of what can, he do, what can he do to be a regular on the United team? Well, essentially, be someone else. Yeah, <laughs> number of times in that second half against Huddersfield, where Lukaku was essentially coming wide, and and that the the goal they scored mm. was essentially a, a Lukaku cross that Rashford headed in. Yeah, that if you're if you're going to have Lukaku doing that, why why not have exactly. somebody who's, who's actually a more natural fit in that area? No, you're right. You're right. I guess we should touch on uh, just a couple of the other games. Uh, Man City dominant, um, Crystal Palace relegated, uh, Bournemouth winning at Stoke actually was a sneaky. Good result, Leicester getting back on track with uh, with no manager. Uh, anyone you'd like to see in at Leicester? By the way, mm. I went on I went on telly yesterday and and, and suggested Brendan Rodgers. Well, yeah. that would be excellent. Which got you know that'd I'd, be great. For who, him. who knows if he if he if he if he come back? But. I actually think uh, Rodgers, although given the history, it probably wouldn't that wouldn't happen. I think I think he'd be good for Everton. But I think that'd be a great. I mean, it'd be hilarious. The you know the amount of yeah. The trouble it would cause oh, yeah, in yeah, the city, yeah. especially because given Brendan's whole shtick and the way he puts things, the amount of Everton fans mm-hmm. piled on that. Mm-hmm. So for that, <laughs> yeah, he'd be big well, on the Everton way, a club of glorious tradition. Yeah, 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 you know? the people's club. He, uh, I mean, the, the way he waxes lyrical about Celtic is almost as if he's at the biggest club in the world and he'll never leave. It'd be interesting to see if someone like Leicester came <laughs> in for him, how he would react to that situation. Um, I do think I'd be interested. Also, interestingly, you know, the job Klopp's doing at Liverpool at the moment mm. makes him look a little bit better. Yeah, it does. Brendan, yeah, completely. actually, uh, uh, which kind of gets forgotten. Maybe we piece this week on uh, Brendan the Forgotten Man. Well, I mean, people always put uh, 2015. Well, at West Ham. Think of all the, like, the tanning yeah. salons, the teeth whitening places <laughs> in the East End. Like, yeah, it's, it's a decent London fit. as well. And I'll, ne- I'll never forget, actually, after we did a one, about 12, 13, we did a West, a West Ham Mondays with Sam Allardyce. And... I think he may have been in the manager's lounge post-game because suddenly he came out and said, going, I've always been told if you want to shine, you've got to shine in London. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> shine like a diamond in London. What was he, Dick Whittington? Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind reading about Brennan Rogers this week. Uh, that's a little sneak peek of our editorial yeah, process yeah. for you there. Um, and uh, yeah, in Southampton won against West Brom, Sofiane Bouffal, uh, club record signing, getting a late goal. Um, as promised last week, as yeah. trailed, I think uh, they say in the broadcasting world. Um, Miggs's mailbag uh, is is making its debut this week, uh, first of a regular section. Um, so Miguel has collated the questions. Okay, He's filtered yeah. out the abuse. Not too much today. Not, Not too, too much, much today. today no. It's always good to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what have you got for us, Miggs? Okay, we've got Chris Gleeson here. Hi, Do Chris. Liverpool need a true defensive midfielder just as much as they need another centre-back? I think they definitely have put a lot more store in Jordan Henderson being their generalissimo in midfield than yeah. is probably wise. He's he's never been really a defensive player. I know, player, yeah. though. I mean, I, I appreciate he's a, he's a talented kid and always has been a talented kid, but uh, he was a attacking sort of winger when he first broke through at Sunderland. Um, obviously, always wanted to play as like a number 10. They moved him back slightly, but to move him back beyond that, you know, he's never... 
you, you see that sometimes with more attacking natural players, like uh, when Andrea Pirlo came through and mm. he was actually like a number 10 sort yeah, of player. Yeah. And they moved him back because his passing was so good that you can play him as that, you know, the Regista role. I but don't see Jordan Henderson playing that role. Well, the thing is, an, an agent actually texted me last night, gone on about Liverpool, and he works a lot on the continent, and he was kind of baffled at the idea that they got all this praise for the Cater deal, but it's for next year, and it's a, like, it's a massive problem they need to solve. Now, I, I, I think Chris is right that they, they just need more protection there. Cater uh, would feasibly help that, but, you know... <laughs> but think about the composition of, of Klopp's Dortmund team. Yeah. Think of those midfields. Um, they are missing a couple of sort of similar bodies. Benders. Yeah, <laughs> the short, yeah, yeah, sh- mm. short and, and yeah, Sebastian Kale. I mean, Sebastian Kale was a a basics kind of sticks and stones sort of player, but I mean, that's almost the guy that they haven't got anyone. I can't think of anyone they've got who's in that mould. No, and and you could argue whether the style they play, where essentially the defenders are expected to to step up and yeah. almost and almost do that sweeping up role, uh, whether it, it it's it's really a, a job that. That there's a place for in that. Side. I guess the idea is is that it's um, the gap between defensive midfield would be so small that you shouldn't need someone filling in there. Um, whereas with like a Jose Mourinho team, uh, traditionally he's always had someone in that in that hole because the defense sits deep and, and the midfield is expected to cover a lot more ground. Um, I, but I think even if it's not specifically that role, I think the answer to Chris's question might be that they need a midfielder who is better defensively. Maybe if not necessarily a, a lone holding midfielder mm-hmm. okay Dave Jones of Sky Sports asks are you all in a school hall no we're not <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> a good question state of the art studio yeah. in, in West London we're, we're in West London television studios um, but thanks Dave for his interest uh, you're having a neck massage as, it, as we speak <laughs> uh, Andrew Termer asks Everton, Southampton, Palace, Leicester and West Ham could all have had silver in the summer what incompetence led to them missing him? Marco Silva, presumably. Yeah. Well, I mean, you saw Watford this weekend, Johnny. What yeah. You, you know, what do you think of Marco Silva's Watford? Very, very impressive. I mean, as I said last week, they are horrible to play against. They're very physically robust. Uh, they're just, they make it a little bit ugly. They could and finish seventh, I think. Or absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, there were, there were times. Even. There were times during that game where I thought, this is kind of Leicester-esque. I'm not mm. saying... That, that that will happen but they they certainly look like the best of the rest at the moment and that's just because they 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 harry you and they hound you and and they are they just they get their foot in they stop you playing and against a, a better technical tide like like chelsea that's that's going to be very effective yeah you say uh southampton yeah it's, uh, the question was about all, all the clubs that missed out so like it's a quarter of the premier league could have basically improved with them. Everton's at Hampton, Palace, Leicester and West Ham. Well, Palace, uh, you know, Steve Parrish even came out and said, uh, and this was this was denying a, a Daily Mail story that, mm-hmm. that Palace were interested in, if, if I remember correctly. He said that Silva's agent rang him um, and he was in Marbella or Mallorca, one of the two, sealing Wilfred Zaha's new contract. Okay. And, and he had said to Marcus Silva, fly out here, you know, we'll... We'll see whatever, and the next day Silver went to London and signed with what okay, I believe. Right. So um, I don't know if that's incompetent. Uh, yeah, I do think Leicester were investing in Shaky at the time. Yes, they were. You know, they they were behind Shakespeare. Mm. I think um, broadly speaking, there weren't enough clubs convinced by him, like an Everton. Yeah, sort of club weren't convinced. And, uh, yeah. by and, they, and, they, and a Ever- guy who you know, it's like we said last week, he was relegated with Hull. Mm. 
but he did enhance his reputation because of of the turnaround he had produced even if it in the end didn't get the result it's the process that's important um but it's very easy to look at these things with hindsight i just think uh there are clubs like you know southampton really believed in pellegrino yeah. Palace really believed in De Boer. Yeah, 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 it's true. You know, it's just uh, sometimes these things don't work out. Um, from Mark Jeffries here, who works showbiz at the Mirror. Two questions, actually. Why are you always late for the podcast? Well, I think that's, I was on time today. Um, Miguel was on time. Johnny what? was late today. Yeah. I was uh, late. I, I blame the circle line. Yeah. I one day dream of, of everyone being on time. I would just say weaknesses, punctuality. Yeah, like, fine. Um, oh, you know, also I think we're so professional dealing with deadlines that in you know it's like it's like a theory uh, there's a fi- you have a finite amount of willpower so if you're concentrating your will on, on one thing it means you, and you're not good for something else so for example apparently people on a diet if they're con- concentrating all their um, all their energy on that and they lapse into drug addiction they, well they'll be slacker in other areas oh, right. I, I would say it's a similar kind of principle here uh, more seriously uh, what is Man City's weakness that could stop them winning the Premier League um Nicholas Otamendi, I think he's called. Well, he's, I think he's done well. Uh, I, I like Otamendi. Yeah. I don't think he fits uh, Guardiola's system at all. He's doing quite well to adapt to play at an OK level so far. Um, it's got to be the defence, though, right? Well, what happened last season is that they started... They had a, a couple of really bad defeats. Uh, the Leicester mm. one sticks out. And Guardiola did kind of what he's never done and changed things a little bit. If The only thing that, that really could stop City short of climate change a catastrophic climate event is him essentially losing his nerve again and yeah. and changing the way they play and you know it could be they have a couple of defeats and they they do look a little bit porous sometimes when yeah. on those odd occasions when they let the other team have the ball well i suppose it's it's the big thing really isn't it it's i mean the the, the massive difference from everyone you speak to around city between this season and last is that all the players now understand exactly what Guardiola wants, and as we've discussed so much in this podcast, it's it's a it's a type of management that does require a like almost a kind of unprecedented level of comprehension from his players. Um, now, I suppose then what happened last season was basically, I mean, they started well, um, got a few bad results, and that kind of just almost derailed them. He had to almost build it up. In. Although I remember, to be fair, uh, Paco Esteran did a column for us, even, and he was talking about, like Liverpool's former assistant manager, now manager at Las Palmas, um, he was talking about this, this principle in coaching, basically. When you are introduced to a completely new system, it's like, he actually said, it's like anything in education. When you're, when you're introduced to a new idea, what you will see is, there will immediately be a very sharp rise in what you do, because it's all new to players, and suddenly they're adapting the new idea. Then, just because of the nature of it, there'll be a long plateau until... I think the, the, the brain starts to take on all these ideas at a deeper level. So then there'll be a, an improvement again. And that is actually kind of what's happening at City. And I do think, I think it's why if they did even suffer the sort of defeat as they did last season that kind of potentially derails them a bit, I just don't think it would have the same effect. They've also, I mean, quietly, they've re- remedied one of their biggest issues yeah. last year. One of the big kind of circuses around the last year was the goalkeeping position. Yeah, yeah. Well, Edison's, Edison's been, quite, been yeah. brilliant. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Uh, I don't think many people have seen a lot of him, really, because you know we don't watch the Portuguese league every week, and then you see Benfica in, in the Champions League and stuff. But Edison has been really, really reliable mm. and good. Real light bulb moment for for City, Edison. Hey. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. Uh, that's a science joke, a science yeah. history joke. Um, I just think I just think he's bravo. I should say. Oh yes, very yeah, nice. yeah, very yeah. nice. 
that one was. Let's get to the heart of the matter yeah. anyway, well, uh, Miguel. With the next, that was another joke. Yeah, nice. Well, well the other thing about City, I mean, in, in relation to this whole idea, with the players understanding the system, there were so many. Look how happy he is. Yeah, <laughs> that that he's like, well, yeah. he's should, killing should we, it. Should we take a photo of that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. take a photo of his jo- of his joy now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. this is like that bit in the office where they start, they all start thinking of, of dessert jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think of other desserts. Sorry, go go on, Miguel. Yeah, not a trifling matter. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Carry on, carry on. Um, yeah, so City, basically last season, there were so many games where they'd be doing what they do, and then suddenly a massive gap would open up in the structure of the team, just because it, the players, I suppose, didn't really know where to go in the same way they do now. And that is just not happening this season. So to answer Jeffers, I, I, the weakness <laughs> is... They have none. <laughs> no, actually, no. no, you know what it is, actually, to be honest, since the injury, it's got to be left back, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's Fabian, true. Fabian Delph, um, as uh, one journalist likes to point out repeatedly, uh, has made a few mm. mistakes yeah. uh, since he's been in an unfamiliar position, I think. Um, it's to be expected. As I said before, Danilo, uh, I'm not convinced he's very good. So I wouldn't even trust him at right back, let alone left back. So left back's a problem because Mendy is a really, really good player. Yeah. Uh, and what, when's it, do we expect him back this season, uh, is it? Probably maybe April. Or maybe right at the end of the season. So if we're going to deep in the Champions League. I hope not. Yeah, I, I do hope not. But that's um, that's got to be it, I guess. That the left side of that defense, the left half of it, at least. Mm. Oh, well, one th- one thing I would say in that in all this as well, like this isn't the weakness again; it's another city strength. But it, was just, it just struck me last night when I was watching once again. I've never seen a player play so many distinctive, sensational passes in single games in De Bruyne. Um, not even kind of the great passes who are probably a pretty better pass like. Pirlo, Xavi, Scholes, but they, they they just didn't do it with the same kind of abandon. Just like it's the way he hits them. There's a, the problem with Man City is that uh, any praise of them it riles more fan, more yeah. rival fans than anyone. And I, I guess it's the money they've spent. I I, mm. I I don't know, but I think you've got to appreciate there's some of the stuff they're doing at the moment. The performance against Chelsea the other week, where they just smothered them yeah. at home. Um, was sensational the Kevin De Bruyne pass that, yeah. that Jonathan wrote so brilliantly about last week. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Like, why can't we praise this team, which could be one of the best teams we've yeah. seen in the Premier League for quite some time? Well, I think, I think this this goes back to kind of the fundamental of Pep's career and the kind of big, the big, um, you know, the debate around them. But it's like with, with Barca. Okay, yes, he had Messi, Iniesta, and Xavi, and Pique, you could say, and, and Busquets, and that was a huge, huge. That's a huge, huge advantage. But what still elevated them was, I mean, it's, it's not just they won things. It's that. 
he created the greatest, possibly the greatest club team of all time. It's something that left a historical mark. So that's not just because he had those players. What he did was he absolutely maximised those players through the way he managed. So, I mean, you could almost go... It was, it, was, you know, it was a perfect situation, a perfect meeting of player, manager, and idea. And I think it's, it's obviously it's not the same at City yet. I mean, we can't say anything like that until they actually they go and win what Barca won. But at the same time, yes, he spent so much money, or the club has spent so much money, but he is, he is currently maximising what, what they're doing. And again, you, you see this with so many big clubs. It, it's been an eternal in football uh, when, um, you know, from Berlusconi to Real Madrid in the 50s, they, they'll, they'll sign all these world global superstars. But if you want a manager to absolutely get the best of those global superstars, this, this is it. Because it, as we have seen, it's not necessarily that easy to construct a, that brilliant team if you have even the best players. You know, there's a, there's a difference between a team that works and a collection of stars. I also think Pep Guardiola has just been good for football in terms of bringing it back to attacking yeah. as, as a thing. And uh, I know the the opinion is that he disappointed with Bayern mm. but some of the stuff they played um, and I, I remember particularly the Champions League semi-final between them and Atletico mm. they went to the one over two legs and it was just the best defensive team yeah. against the best attacking team in Europe and they are so good at attacking that it improves their defence I mean, you know, and this is obviously Jose Mourinho yeah. is the opposite guy but we're saying that if he had attacked Liverpool yeah, yeah, yeah. that in its own form helps you defend Yeah, Pep Guardiola has never been big on defensive co- you know he's not like a superstar defensive coach but they are so dominant mm. that, and, and like that game against Chelsea where if Chelsea can't get out their half they're not going to score against yeah. you also even beyond all that and beyond the debate what, what Guardiola is doing with City and this is not an exaggeration I think people overlook this if you talk to coaches at any level he's probably had the biggest tactical influence in the game since Arrigo Saki and he's genuinely changed even how youth coaches they actually how they, how they approach the game he basically brought back um the use of or the kind of the expression of technique from playing the ball out from the back he's, he's changed the way um, everyone sets up yeah i mean uh, just i mean just to go back to the to the question i mean the, the the one the one thing i suppose that is still unknown is is how champions league will affect them if they if they get to february or march and they're still in four competitions whether that takes a toll on them especially you know the, the physical uh, aspect uh, he does sound like he's not too bothered about the league cup or FA cup though I, I, sus- <laughs> I suspect it's, it's not up his, his list of priorities but you know the the kind of Christmas schedule which he will have experienced last year but again you, you don't know how that how that affects the sharpness of this group of players that's I mean we're, we're clutching at straws here I, I personally think City will get close to 100 points this year yeah so do I so Jeffers has got the most comprehensive answer he could have hoped for there I guess um Probably got time for one more, Migs. Okay, here, here's one, uh, just to, I suppose to bring it full circle, uh, from Nathan Salt. Uh, where does Lovren's first half versus Tottenham rank in the worst performances in the Premier League? Individual performances. Yeah, brings a bit of nostalgia to it, a little bit of that. Give me your top five, Jonathan. Basingua for QPR against Reading. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, can't even, I couldn't even tell the year to be like 2014. I think it was 2013, was it? Possibly 2013. Yeah, a year after he was winning the Champions League. Actually, we Maybe it wasn't. And Sorry. that QPR side is one of the, the worst sides yeah. I've ever seen. Um, William Prunier against Spurs. I was there. I was at, I was at really? that game. New Year's Day. 4-1, yeah. Yeah, 4-1. Yeah, that was pretty bad. I mean, and, and again, it was one of those that, that was sort of baffling. Yeah. But then, again, how, how good a player was Prunier? Well, that's, uh, yeah, I suppose the, um, 
the caveat for Prunier is that he was basically just suddenly he was doing United a favour by just kind of coming along for three games. But do do we think Lovren's performance was better or worse than Ali Dia? Better. <laughs> okay, but in terms of their re- relative to their quality. Oh, uh, no, I mean, I suppose relative to their quality, I'm sure like, Dia probably had a, <laughs> a stormer. He actually, had a, he actually had a 7 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, for a professional footballer, it was, it was a 1. Um, no, I, I think the thing, it's also, it's, you know, it, it's easy to get carried away with Lovren because he might have, if he, if he hadn't get, got hauled off, and I appreciate he wouldn't have got hauled off if he wasn't dreadful, um, he could have could have scored a scored mm. a goal in the second half and then, Set up the third. Well, actually, shortly after the Kane, or sorry, the second goal, the way he, made, he did make one brilliant block on Harry Kane. You know, so if anything, Klopp's cut him off in his prime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he should apologise for that. I, actually, that, that's another question. That what, beyond goalkeepers, what's the position, actually, that if you have one mistake, it kind of make, it colours your whole performance in that way? That you look like a shocker. Probably. It's at either end of the field, isn't it? Yeah. I think centre-back's the obvious one. The, the, I'll say I could watch the the gif of him running under that pass repeatedly yeah. because it's just uh, it just l- looks like he does not know what he's doing. Yeah. So reserve striker, like kind of your, your Vincent Janssen position. That's true. Where you, yeah. you come on for the last you're three com- minutes. You're, you're coming on to rescue this game for us, mate. I hope you yeah, know yeah. that. Yeah. You're, you're probably only going to get one chance. Yeah. <laughs> and you you're probably going to miss it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's kind of the Bechuai thing as well because well he, he uh, he's a weird one because Whenever he starts a game, he just looks awful. Yeah. And then he comes off the bench and he always seems to, yeah. you know, he scored the, the last minute winner. Let's go, he's got the goal that won the league. Thrives on chaos. Maybe they just need a bit more chaos. Yeah. Um, and speaking of which, um, more chaos next week, I guess, um, from the Indie Football Podcast. I'm here next week. I'm in Rome. In Rome. Yeah. Uh, for the uh, Champions League doubleheader yeah. in yeah. Italy. Yeah. Um, this, this weekend, you're at which game? Um, Manchester United Tottenham. Um, prediction for Manchester United Tottenham, please. Tottenham are going to win two one. Current, <gasps> current Manchester United manager versus future Manchester United manager. Unless Real get there first. Unless Real get there. And uh, Johnny, you are where this weekend? I might uh, might pop up your trap as well. Okay, we'll yeah. see. Let's we'll do see. that. Um, so thank you both for coming. Um, the uh, the caretakers have done a great job, and uh, they're looking to get a permanent contract. Uh, and without further ado, I'd like to say thank you to producer Matt Murphy. Thank you to our friends at Acast. Um, thank you to all those who left a review and asked us the questions, um, the abusive reviews also. They only fire us on to greatness. So uh, <laughs> thank you from me and Malian, and we will see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.